0: Who's there? I'm your host Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. I hope everyone's holiday season is going well so far because we have another episode focusing on the amazing subgenre of holiday horror. This time we are speaking with holiday horror aficionado and horror writer Matt Donato. He's been writing about horror for the last 10 years and he's written extensively on sites like Bloody Disgusting and Fangoria about holiday horror, the top kills of every year, and horror comedies. In this week's episode we get into his top three favorite holiday horror movies, what holiday he thinks needs more horror movies, and why he likes this subgenre so much. We also talked about black christmas from 1974 and the two remakes as well as his favorite movie of 2021 and what horror movie he's looking most forward to in 2022 one last thing before we get into this episode if you love the show and haven't left us a review on itunes yet i'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review it on apple podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us thank you to everyone who's already left us a review it's so appreciated as it really helps people find us. I think I've rambled enough, so let's get into this special holiday episode with Matt Donato. Hey, Matt, how are you?
1: Very good. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for being here.
1: I am so happy to be here and talk about Christmas horror.
0: Yay. Yeah, it's December or it's almost December. It's uh, November 30th while we're we're recording this. So why don't you start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, etc.?
1: Sure thing. Uh, my name is Matt Donato. Uh, I have been writing about horror for almost a decade now, which sounds crazy, even as I say that my specialties include uh, B movies and anything kind of demon wind related and also Christmas horror. And where am I from? I originated uh, from Jersey. I was a Jersey boy went to uh new york and then i moved out to la a few years ago so i've been uh I, as much as i love christmas horror I, I don't like the cold that much so i immediately was like i'm done with the cold i'm done with the east coast uh, let's go live in the west coast for a little bit
0: oh cool yeah i'm in new york city so very cool
1: i was i lived in uh brooklyn for eight years
0: oh nice nice when did you move away
1: uh about two years ago at the age of 30 I just kind of said uh you know it's time for a change and uh that change was a big one (laughs) yeah
0: that's valid you can always come back
1: that's uh I will be visiting finally for the first time in two years uh this December so it'll be my own little Christmas uh white white Christmas in a way hopefully I don't even know if you guys get snow anymore
0: (laughs) it was flurrying today so okay yeah there you go (laughs) so first things first what's your favorite scary movie
1: Uh, It's always a loaded question and I even had these ahead of time because you're so good and I still sit here going my favorite scary movie. My God, what is it? But uh, for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to stick with Bride of Chucky. I'm going to stay there. I'm going to go with Bride of Chucky. Uh, As I said, I'm the horror comedy guy and I don't know. I'm just really drawn to this film over and over again. I, uh, if you know Andrew Lussain, I had him customize some uh, Bride of Chucky shoes that only I have. And that's, that's the level of fandom right here.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. That's impressive. I have to admit, I've only seen the 2019 remake of oh, no. the, the Child's Play movies. It was terrible. Oh, no. But yes. uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never seen any of the others. So that's a very unique answer that I never get. So thank you.
1: I would recommend because I think Chucky is my favorite slasher villain, and I've seen that whole series over and over again. So I very much encourage you to go into the uh, original OG Chucky's with without any bit of that Mark Hamill garbage in your mind.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I'll put that on my uh, my watch list on uh, Letterboxd. (laughs) Um, So how did you first fall in love with the horror genre?
1: first fell in love with the horror genre a little late to the game uh my story doesn't start with like video shelves and you know the usual horror fans that have had family and like uh, brothers sisters introduce them I very much as college I very much grew up in a household that didn't understand horror there was no or let's put it this way everything was safe like the household I grew up in I obviously had obviously two loving parents that I adore very greatly but uh One was a cop. One was a teacher. We were very by the rules, very by all of those kind of goody goody. As much as I, you know, I was a goody goody. So I can't get away from that. Yes, I'll go with goody goody there. And I don't know, I I just eventually wanted something different. And when I say I wanted something different, I wanted to stop feeling like the safety net was always around me. And uh, I wanted to like kind of experience life. And after a, a childhood of anxiety that very much like kind of ate away at me I found out that I had a huge fear of Chucky tying back to that and I would literally like hyperventilate sometimes just by seeing Chucky like I, I was a very scared child so all of that leads up to college all of that leads up to me starting to write about film and I, I one of the first stories I had to write about was Chucky and I'm like better time uh what better time to kind of like dive into it and uh get into the horror genre so after that I finally tackled my fears I realized that I adored horror and I realized that like I'd been missing that adrenaline rush my entire life so it's just been horror since then
0: nice so why was the first first thing you had to write about in college why was that (laughs) about Chucky why did it have to be that
1: So it was my first like quote unquote official piece, and it was for a large publication uh, that I do not write for anymore, but I got on the news beat. So like one of my first things was, you know, just pick up random news stories, just kind of turn them out and like lo and behold, the very first news piece I had to write was about Curse of Chucky. It was just announced and it was like just coming into fruition. So I'm like, cool. All right. I guess I got to go look through all these pictures of Chucky. I got to go find a header image. I got to do all these things. And like I said, like that was kind of like the gateway because I eventually, one of my first junkets even was Curse of Chucky uh, a few years later. And so I got to sit down, you know, with Don Mancini and uh, the entire cast of Curse of Chucky and they're like holding the doll and stuff. And it, it really was just one of these moments where I'm like, wow, like literally maybe five, six years ago, I would have been like, nowhere near this event nowhere near any of this horror fandom and now here i am literally with royalty holding the goddamn doll and i'm like is this real is this real life
0: (laughs) that's awesome
1: yeah it was very cool
0: so why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre
1: (laughs) i think because it keeps us sane Uh, i really think that there is something to talk about like if we're talking about keeping our sanity and equating that to horror It's because we allow the darkness to come into our lives a little bit. Uh, I think there's something to be said about anyone who blocks themselves out from the world around them uh, and doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that like monsters do exist. And I I feel like I'm in a healthier mindset since I've been able to tackle hard and since I've been able to like watch these things that used to petrify me. And, you know, when I was a child, I didn't want to be scared I I wanted to be in my comfort zone. And I think that's unhealthy in its own right, because we, we just can't anticipate the unknowns around us so if we're we're just going to talk about like you know why do horror people seem somewhat saner Uh, i I think it's because that well we kind of approach life with a different mindset you know i used to i used to be the kid that stayed up at night like hyperventilating again going back to that um about like death and like i'd be the kid that just lays there and is like well like what if i die right now and like what is death and like what happens and i don't know like watching horror movies over and over again i don't want to say desensitized but it just makes me feel more comfortable about everything. I've seen everything there is to see about this like gruesome, gruesome act, And, uh, you know, it's just part of life. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that kind of makes sense for me.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. Do you think that horror kept you sane during the pandemic?
1: Uh, I, I, I think it definitely helped. I think it definitely helped that horror was the one genre that didn't really see a, you know, kind of stoppage of output. Uh, the horror genre always year after year, It makes itself on its indie films. Of course, we get our blockbusters. Of course, we get the mainstream uh, horror titles that go to theaters. But there are so many independent efforts that either go to VOD or, you know, streamers and things of that nature. And when the pandemic hit and theaters shuttered, all of those stayed like they didn't have to shutter with theaters because they were always going to hit streaming. They were always going to hit VOD. So I, I felt like there was a little bit of normalcy in my life that didn't go away. So that, that normalcy was horror. Yeah, that definitely was horror. Uh, and the fact that I could still I could still depend on horror to be there, whether, you know, week after week and I'm still reviewing films, like, you know, I, I, all the films that got slated for later releases are the big blockbusters, the Marvels, things of that nature. Um, but the horror output, I was still just like cranking out my work and it's like, well, this is like business as usual here. So I think it was a little bit of a, uh, you know, I felt comfortable knowing, that horror wasn't going away. And also I felt comfortable knowing that horror was actually getting appreciated on the independent level as well. I think that was the big thing like I wrote about uh, for Nerdist even uh, that year, or sorry, like during the pandemic, that was more than a year. So um, that, yeah, I was I was very happy actually to be like people are talking about these independent features that usually would just get brushed under the rug for the next big theatrical release. And I, I, I like the fact that that got a light shined on those uh, smaller titles. So hopefully that actually continues now too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I feel like we were so lucky because we had we have an entire streaming service dedicated to our genre. So right. we yes. just had a steady, steady stream on Shudder.
1: Listen, Shudder always does the good Lord's work. And uh I, you know, if you want a really good uh, free option, I really do stress Tubi to all my listeners and like fans. Tubi has bar none the best horror <laughs> selection right now. Like compare it to Hulu, Netflix, all those, Tubi's where it's at. So if you if you ever need like a horror movie, just out of nowhere, you want to go and find something random. I, I to be, don't count it out.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I hear. I'm a little hesitant because of the ads.
1: Yep. But. Yep. Totally get it.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, that brings me up to my next question. What's your favorite subgenre in horror?
1: So the favorite subgenre, I, I mean, I'll go kind of wider, and I will go with horror comedy. I'll just take that on base level uh, because I, I definitely am the horror comedy guy. Uh, thinking about other titles that came to my head when you said favorite horror movie. I mean, the next one in line is like the return of living dead. So I have a type obviously. And if I go down that list, it's all films of that uh, flavor, but I, I like the darkly comedic. I like satires. I like things that are able to make you laugh and also scare you at the same time. uh, Because I feel like a horror comedy is the best way to deliver the nastiest message. If you're laughing, you almost don't realize that you're actually digesting commentary and the horror genre is full of commentary itself. And I really think like that is the best marriage of those two worlds where the return of living dead alone, I mean, there's so much to say about the government and there's so much to say about you know the toxic gas and where that comes from and the reaction to just nuke a town because of the spillage, all these things, but we're laughing the whole time. So what we remember are these hilarious moments where screaming characters are fighting corpses that have come back to life. But what we don't think about and what actually sticks with us too, is all of that commentary that comes with it. So I've always been uh, interested in comedies. And uh, I think my last piece or one of my most recent pieces for Polygon was about dude bro party massacre three. And it's like, cool. I love this movie, but it wasn't just about loving the movie. It was also about talking about how like horror comedies are probably the smartest subgenre out there, but so many people write them off as just laughs like if you actually think about them deeper and on a deeper level, there's so much to dig into.
0: I will have to dig into them a little bit. I'm known for not really liking horror comedy no. that much. Um, I like my horror very serious and a little disturbing. So, I, like anything from the '80s, is, is basically not for me.
1: What What's the closest you've ever come then? What's the closest you've ever come to liking a horror comedy?
0: Um, I did like Shaun of the Dead. I did okay. see that in theaters. So okay. Yeah,
1: that's that's a very British wit, especially I think a British horror comedy has a certain kind of cynicism and wit to it that uh, the mainstream American horror comedies, they have more of the especially now we dive into the meta. The meta humor is where people go. So sometimes that can be a real chore. I think Uh, I think the British horror comedies do a little bit better on that. And especially like Shaun of the Dead. Um, I connect it to other movies. Like maybe you should try something like Severance. Uh, Severance is a real fun one if you've never seen that, but it's very quickly about a work retreat uh, that turns into a horror scenario. Mm. So like you just have the cubicle workers going out in the woods with their boss and you get the commentary of like it, a mayhem-esque kind of film, but then you get the British humor and the British wit in there. Uh, go ahead, try Severance. I want to see if that works for you. <laughs> I, I'm like, now I'm destined to like make you like our movies. <laughs>
0: good luck. Um, (laughs) uh, Last question before we get into the horror holiday questions is who are your favorite holiday, uh, your favorite horror directors? I
1: I was thinking about this when I was trying to think of like really unique answers, but it's hard because the masters are all there. I, I mean, everyone from, you know, Craven to Carpenter, it's so hard to, it's so hard to say that like, they're not my favorite <laughs> as you don't much need as... to
0: be unique you just exactly need to say, right say what's true for you know
1: and, and I think going back to talking about when I came into horror all that older cinema and all those older titles were, were they're newer to me because I did very good at catching up from like 2010 onward so like I've seen everything there is it, you know not everything but most of the things there is to talk about uh since 2010 but my journey with, uh, let's say like the more historical titles has been a lot longer. So all of a sudden I'm going back and like discovering like early Carpenter and all these, you know, early Craven. And I'm just realizing how talented they were. And I'm realizing like at a later age and appreciating them at such a later age uh, has given me this like, I I don't know, this like appreciation that I don't know if I would have had a while ago, like watching it, maybe if I did watch it when I was 10, 11. So I I I really have to say, if I'm going to stick with one, it's Carpenter. Okay. There's, there's no way around it. There's no way around what he does because uh, even his like action movie, you know, Assault on Precinct 13, there, there's something so unique about the way he films that action, the way that he makes everything feel so claustrophobic, but also so intense and exciting. Uh, so I'm just I'm just sticking with my boy Carpenter.
0: Awesome. Totally valid. Um, I also got into the classics later in life. Got it later, meaning like the last couple of years. So I- they did not hit the same way that they would have hit when I was 10 or 11, I wish I would have seen them then because I, they're they're very tame. They're very cheesy. Yeah,
1: that is the one thing you know. After digesting so much of uh, our cinema, you know our modern quote unquote yeah. horror, and I, I'm a huge uh, Aughts horror fan. I will be out there championing like remakes and especially if the Aughts hour remakes. I just rewatched Texas Chainsaw and like holy crap, that thing is mean and nasty. And I need to I- see
0: it. I heard <sighs> it's better than the not better than the original, but there's there's more in it. They're like they show more because I found the original really tame and like
1: boring that's that's the big thing you watch the new texas or sorry not new it was like 2003 but you know you watch the (laughs) texas chainsaw remake and i do agree it's definitely one of the better remakes especially for platinum dunes but the fact that they even show violence is just a level above the original texas chainsaw because you know you go back and rewatch it and you remember leatherface as this chainsaw massacre, per you know, icon with a chainsaw cutting people up, but you really don't see any violence in the original one. That's yeah. the, that's the special part about it. It's so unsettling because of the Sawyer family. What we get in the remake is the blood and guts version, and even that's cut down. There's a version with um some gore added back in that never was released, so that would be very cool to see one day that it gives us even more gore. But yeah, the new one is just so bleak and nasty, it, it's just hard to. Yeah it's hard to watch those movies and then go back and watch like old school horror films and not be a little bit jaded. But at the same time, the storytelling is so much better because going to Carpenter, it's just like the fog is a really spooky ghost story and that's all it needs to be. And that's why it's so good. And I think some of the newer horror forgets that, you know, some of the new horror filmmakers, they just latch on to the fact that gore sells we've learned the wrong things from the saw era And it's, we just need to like go overboard with all this gratuitousness. And I'm there to talk about kills and horror. I'm there for all the gore and violence, but I'm not there if that takes away from the actual narrative and story. So there's a world where, you know, everyone goes back and rewatches the fog and rewatches all those early films and finally takes away the right thing from that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That's part of why I like a lot of PG-13 horror movies because they are, they just rely on like atmosphere so much.
1: Absolutely. Scary Stories Tell in Dark. Great horror movie. PG-13.
0: Yeah. The Others. Yep. Um, the Ring is PG-13. Yep. Come on. You can
1: do so much.
0: <laughs> yeah. When I saw a screening uh, in 35 millimeter of The Ring on Halloween this year, uh, nice. half of the audience had never seen it before. And uh, the girl who was presenting and she gave a speech before and she was like, buckle in for the most intense PG-13 horror movie you'll ever see.
1: Absolutely. And yeah. again, it's about the scares because you don't need the gratuitousness like that doesn't make a horror film. It adds to it and it definitely adds some charm for like those gore hounds. I mean, I, I'm going to I'm sorry I keep like dropping things I do. But for Fangoria, I write about their uh, 10 best kills every year. And my appreciation of practical effects and gore is like through the roof. But if you'll also scare the crap out of me, like my appreciation is still just as high, like paranormal activity to me. Is one of the scariest films I've ever seen in a theater. And uh that's just a personal uh fear of the unknown. So that movie really tapped into some things. But the fact that there was no gore in it did not make that less of a horror movie. You know, it's still super effective for what it does with the found footage, and it's super effective for the way that all it takes to scare you is a character standing over another character when they sleep. Like that's it. That's all it took to like creep the hell out of me.
0: Oh yeah, that movie. I, I would have loved to have seen that in theater. That was a where's a where is Waldo a horror <laughs> movie because you're always just like looking for what's wrong.
1: oh, you're analyzing every inch of the screen yeah. <laughs> and it's so big, it's so fun.
0: Oh uh, all right, so let's get into holiday horror because it's let's now it. December when this comes out. Um that's why we were connected on Twitter. Twitter Absolutely. can be good sometimes. I
1: guess ten uh, percent of the time.
0: Ten <laughs> percent of the time, yes. Um I'm actually just watching the columnist on Shutter about oh, there you um, go. a columnist who gets harassed online, so that's great. Um, so why are you such a big fan of holiday horror?
1: So I think it goes back to, uh, the innocence lost of holiday horror, uh, because the whole idea of holiday horror is to take something cheerful and jubilant and it's the Christmas season. You know, what do we think about? We think about the smells that come out of kitchens. We, We see family, it's all smiles and presents, things that make us happy. Uh, also just like the world, there is a dark undertone to everything and, I don't know, consumerism is a huge thing for Christmas. Like maybe you visit family members you don't really want to see. And the horror genre is an outlet uh, for those frustrations, I think. And when you look at Christmas horror specifically, number one, it's just the easiest one to do. Uh, there's a reason we don't have like a ton of Easter horror, or, like Thanksgiving horror, even though we should. Um, but Christmas horror is just so easy to take this seasonal color palette, the seasonal icons of Santa and gingerbread men and elves. It's it's rife with all of these thematic elements that just need to be destroyed in some way, <laughs> um, and I think the Christmas, you know, the Christmas spirit itself is trying to find the good in everything. But I don't know; everything's not always good, <laughs> and maybe it's maybe it's nice to see that sometimes. So I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to uh, Christmas R specifically.
0: Nice, yeah. Some we've learned in the last year and a half, things people are not always good.
1: So. No, they. Tra- they I, <laughs> I think. They try a lot, but uh, yeah, no, there's always going to be the bad apples.
0: Yeah. What are your top three favorite holiday horror movies?
1: So if I'm going my top three, um, it's hard to get away again from some classics, but uh, number one for me is always going to be Gremlins. That's going to have that vibe of holiday horror, but it's also fun. It's also campy. It's also puppets. So that's going to be the hard sell for me on, on and every year I have to watch it. Yeah, and it's just Joe Dante. If we're talking filmmakers too, Joe Dante's up there with one of my favorite. He's he does very well with this kind of blend of some pretty wicked shit. Like you, you hear the uh, the Santa story that is just famous in Gremlins, and it is such a nasty, just melancholic moment in this otherwise mogwai infested little film that like about like gremlins like it's fun haha and all of a sudden we're talking about like dead parents and stuff and you're like oh oh no this is bad (laughs) um so that still that still works for me gremlins is always going to be like a forever favorite two is simply the original black christmas it is one of the best slashers ever made i i think it's been talked about so much and uh for good reason and it's one of the first slashers that really you know kind of set the stage for everything else and if we're talking about the, the wrong lessons learned from like future filmmakers, uh, Black Christmas is so good for all the reasons people have said, it's just tense. Uh, you don't really see much, but it's so vile and it's so nasty. And that's the telephone calls. Like the telephone calls are just like ringing your mind and they make you feel so dirty. Uh, but what people learned or sorry, what other filmmakers learned years later is, oh, slashers work because of the deaths. So like, let's not care about all that real tension and that like character driven, just emotional destruction. And let's just focus on the kills. And it's like, no, but black Christmas proves that you don't really need the over the top gory kills. Like You can have a terrifying movie without all of that. Uh, so I, I do wish that, you know. We, we could find that uh emotional core again in slasher films and uh, really go back to like the black christmas kind of era and when i say era it wasn't very long it was like black christmas halloween they they laid the groundwork and everyone's like oh yeah blood dots tits, and, and i'm like no no that's not it doesn't have to be that uh and sorry and number three is a really weird one uh i'm gonna go with bustillo and mary's uh inside and <laughs> have you have you seen inside
0: no but i know what it's about <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to watch. Yeah. Uh, it's also magnificently made. It's so well done for what it is, and I, I, I mean, all it is is on the holiday season. A pregnant woman has to fight another woman who's invaded her house and wants to cut out her baby. That is the movie. Uh, it's it's really good. It's really disturbing. It's not for everyone, but it's my number three.
0: <laughs> it's it's what the Christmas season is about. Exactly. At its core. But,
1: Bringing fam protecting family. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Protecting what's yours. (laughs) Is there a holiday that you would love to see explored in a horror movie that hasn't been done yet?
1: Yeah, I really do think that uh, we don't have enough Christmas. Uh, Sorry, we do have plenty of Christmas horror. (laughs) I don't think we have enough Thanksgiving horror. And there are just the few offhanded the blood rages, uh, the thanks killings. So sure, we have a few titles here and there. Uh, Christie is another one that like no one really remembers as Thanksgiving horror, but that's all of what? Three tossing. Well, that's right. We have our, we have our pilgrim on uh, Hulu, which I do enjoy. I do like into the, into the darks pilgrim. So that's four off the top of my head, but it's really hard to think of another one after that. And, you know, the promise of Eli Ross Thanksgiving or sorry, Thanksgiving alone was like, okay, we can do way more with these Thanksgiving season uh, holiday horror vibes Why aren't we? And I don't know, I guess filmmakers just keep vibing back with Christmas and that's the easy one. But no, I think Thanksgiving is kind of perfect for a real good horror scenario. And uh, again, the Thanksgiving trailer that Roth does in the uh, Grindhouse uh, double feature is a lot of really good moments about like kids home for the holidays, parades, uh, the turkey suit, things of that nature. So I, I don't know why we're missing some really, really good Thanksgiving horror. I think we need to figure that one out.
0: All right, I haven't seen that Eli Roth thing that you're talking about, so I'll have to find
1: that. Oh yeah, it's just a uh, it's a fake trailer for uh, oh. the gr- the Grindhouse uh, Tarantino Rodriguez uh, double feature, <laughs> and you know you're watching the movie, all of a sudden there's a fake trailer, and you're like, holy shit! I would watch this movie like in a heartbeat. So oh, yeah, he's okay. he's often often like asked if that'll ever be a thing, but I, I don't think it will at this point.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, Another person who's good at doing family dramas is um, Ari Aster. He could do one.
1: Yes, you can absolutely (laughs) like like literally get a bunch of uh, you know get the family together for Thanksgiving, make it go horribly wrong. I think that's a pretty easy vibe to it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So I saw that you just wrote a piece about the newest holiday horror film, Black Friday, for the gist. Is it worth the rental price?
1: Uh, It's tough because uh, uh, it's rough around the edges and it's something that I think has its certain value for horror fans that are very much okay with independent cinema. Uh, If you're really going in there and you're someone who really only likes mainstream horror, you're probably not going to vibe with uh, Black Friday. But for me, it kind of hit some of the levels that I wanted. It's about it's simply about uh, Black Friday. A horde of uh, shoppers are outside. The workers are inside the horde of shoppers transform into these mutation alien things. doesn't really do a great job explaining why, but uh, the the workers have to fight their way out. And like, it's like Devin Sawa and Bruce Campbell and Michael J. White. So you're seeing veteran actors in a pretty campy film, goofy film. Uh, Robert Kurtzman does the uh, physical costumes there for the aliens that do get pretty gnarly at some points. It just kind of is a half baked idea and it just kind of gets halfway there with everything. So if you're okay with like a few beers and hanging out with your friends and watching a movie at late night, Black Friday is fine. It's worth a rental, but you're not going there to see like the next big Black Friday film. Which that's actually, if that is that considered a holiday? Because we need more Black yeah. Friday. Yeah, art.
0: yeah, um, It's a terrible holiday.
1: Anyway. Awful, awful.
0: <laughs> I forgot the Devon Sawa is in it. I might rent it just for that.
1: Absolutely. If yeah. you're if you're in if you're sold on that, then you'll be fine.
0: Okay. I don't really think I'll like it because it seems like very campy, but I'll yeah. watch it for him um are there any um lesser known harm holiday horror movies that you think people should know about
1: absolutely I have so I'm looking at my letterbox list that I have because this is what I based uh my slash film article off when I ranked 115 I think uh holiday horror (laughs) film yeah a lot of them are bad I want (laughs) to say that out front like there's not a lot of good ones but under, under Okay, so let's go under scene. Uh, the Children is pretty good.
0: I love The Children. Um, I watched that last Okay, year. so
1: you've seen it. Yes. Yeah, The Children's great for anyone who hasn't seen it. It's just about, well, kids turn against their parents. And that's the easiest way to say it. And yeah. I don't want to say anymore because <laughs> it gets a lot more violent than you'd expect. And I, I yeah. really dig that about it. Um, I also think another really good one is Dead End. Have you seen Dead End?
0: No, it's on my list to watch this year. It's on one of my one of my sh- watching lists.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, Raywise, Lin Shay, and they are driving to grandma's house uh, down a stretch of road with uh, their kids. And well, basically they, they enter an eternal time loop and they can't get off the of road. And it just becomes this very freaky, mind trippy, we don't know what's in the woods, but it won't let us out scenario. And again, that's all I want to say because you haven't seen this yet. Yeah. Um, other ones that are super insane Bloodbeat is a very old school um, vinegar syndrome, you know, picked it up. So that's how kind of off the beaten path it is. But it's basically about like in rural America, like a family get together and like the ghost of a samurai inhabits one of the people attending and the ghost, the samurai starts killing people, but it can only kill when like she's climaxing. So. Very uh very interesting, but very has those '80s vibes of what the fuck is happening, Uh, and it's it's kind of fun. So I I think those are some good ones, and then I do want to shout out the Silent Night remake. So like the remake of Silent Night Deadly Night, which I have my fun with. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think Silent Night is the superior film. There, Uh, it was directed by Stephen C. Miller, and it's what I keep going to when I recommend like newer slashers that still fit the mold of like an older school slasher vibe. So like. It's just really about the kills, but it goes so over the top that it invests in them and it becomes a spectacle versus like a cheap throwaway. Lots of festive spirit, lots of blood. Uh, There's one scenario where one of the actresses gets fed into a wood chipper. That is one of my favorite kills ever. So if you're in the mood for a real good slasher that is holiday themed, uh, you can go with your Silent Night, Deadly Night, but I really do recommend Silent Night as well.
0: Okay, cool. Maybe I'll watch. I've never seen either of those, so maybe I'll watch them both this year.
1: You got, you got a lot of lot of watching to do.
0: I I do I really there are four Christmas movies that I want to watch this season plus now those two. So good. Yeah, I think I think there should be a drinking game where people who are listening to this take a drink every time I say, "Oh, I've never seen that," because I have so much catching up to do, and I've, i watch I so many movies. I think I just watch bad ones. So, but that's
1: the fun part though of this too, and it's you know it's I I'm catching up constantly too, and I see it very much not as a lack of knowledge, but I feel like every Every uh, path we choose, you know, how we got to horror is unique. So the fact that like we're learning about these things later in life and seeing these things that are so classic and I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's more of a shared experience. I, I find it fun when someone gets to discover something for the first time versus like, well, haven't you seen this before? Well, I don't know, because I had a fucking life and I had these things going on. I don't know. You don't, you don't know who I am. Uh, so yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a cool thing. That's a very cool thing.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I know you wrote an article last year for bloody disgusting about the three black Christmases. I know you're partial, like most people to the 1974 black Christmas, like you've already said, but if you had to bring one of the remakes to a desert Island, which one would you bring
1: after much thought and consideration? Uh, I do believe it would be Glenn Morgan's. Uh, I believe that's the 2006 version. Um, I, I think I got that date, right? I don't know. In any case, it, it does the thing that angers me about newer slasher films that I was just talking about and that it goes over the top with kills and it kind of treats story as lesser. And it also does this really weird kind of incest yellow skin uh, backstory. And uh, it really goes off the rails a little bit uh, in building the killer Billy, which I, black Christmas, the original proved You don't need, like all you need is the creeper. All you need is the force. All you need is the malevolence, and like, that's it. We don't need to go crazy with backstory and try to build something out of uh, really like disgusting, uh, like a cesspool. And they just grab all these like nasty elements and go, cool, this is our killer. Haven't uh, we focus on telling a story over that? But in any case, so it would still be that movie because uh, I, it really does get a little bit of that festive spirit as well. Like I was just talking about Silent Night, uh, having... Everything about the holiday season in it, but just covered in blood. And uh, that's that's Black Christmas, too. That's Black Christmas to the gnarliest degree where you get the icicle kill, like just like an icicle falling right down, killing somebody. There is value to the uh, to the other remake. I, I just really did not fall in love with the actual filmmaking aspects of it, so I don't know. I might revisit that one, see if it like hits a little different, but I I just really didn't enjoy the second one. So I, I gotta stick with my uh, two thousand six version.
0: All right, that's valid. I haven't seen it yet. That's one of the four movies that are on my list for this year. Um yeah. I actually really do like the 2019 one, even though it's very Good. on the nose, but I and I really like Image and Poots. So but I know everyone hates on it because it's not it's not related to the original at all. So
1: yeah, and like you know, I, I'm totally fine with uh, you know. I kind of feel that like remakes shouldn't be like the original. I, I kind of think like remakes should take the biggest swing possible. And I'm totally fine with uh, the way they cast it and things of that nature. Um, I don't know I just I just couldn't get by some of the it really felt like there was an R-rated cut and somebody behind the scenes was like, nope, we got to hit the PG-13 demographic. And in doing so, they, d- they didn't just cut out some of the nastiness to like get the rating down it feels like they cut out really integral parts of story that just that are missing for me it just feels like scenes jump from one to the next so I kind of had some trouble with that one that's that's really where I fell off on it
0: that's valid um I learned yesterday when I listened to the heart the podcast the horror virgin they covered it Mm -hmm. this week um they said um one of the fun facts was that they used the black goo Instead of blood because they didn't, they couldn't have too much blood because they wanted a PG 13 rating. So. Smart,
1: smart filmmaking in that kind of aspect.
0: Yeah. Um, so we just had Thanksgiving here in the States. Did you watch any Thanksgiving horror movies?
1: Unfortunately, I did not. Uh it is uh I, I am a horror fan first. I am also first a uh, awards voter so we get sent all our like kind of like for your consideration screeners around now so thanksgiving for me is always the fun fun practice of picking out of a giant stack of movies saying like okay so i've watched horror all year and i've kind of neglected the awards contenders what am i watching now um so horror for me was not as much but i did watch both texas chainsaw movies to do my my remake column for blade disgusting so uh there's my heart there you go
0: Nice. Nice. I feel so bad for you that you get all those screeners for free.
1: No, there is no (laughs) complaining about that. Absolutely. No complaint. (laughs)
0: Uh, It's currently the third night of Hanukkah. Um, Do you know of any Hanukkah horror movies besides the movie Hanukkah? Um, I'm at a real loss when it comes to this holiday or Passover.
1: I was looking around and I didn't look as hard as I wanted to, uh, but like not off the top of my head. I really did dig deep and dig back. Um, if if we're going with like adjacent kind of films, uh, Santa's sleigh also does work in uh, like like some Hanukkah horror beats um, because one of the characters like is Jewish and so they do a good job of actually hitting on that element as well. Um, so that like I think that's kind of the closest it's come for me. But yeah, you said that and I immediately was like, I don't have anything off the top of my head. Like I have a whole article fucking twenty Christmas horror movies, but I was like, no, I don't have any Hanukkah horror off the top of my head.
0: Yeah. Um, my, my friends rented a uh, Hanukkah last year and they mm-hmm. were like, that was terrible. Don't bother, yep. but maybe, maybe I'll do it this year just because I have $4 to waste.
1: I was going to, unfortunately, <laughs> like if it's all that's out there, like, yeah, like that's a huge gap that's missing as well. If we're talking about holidays, like the fact that there's so much Christmas horror, but like, why is there not more Hanukkah horror? Like it's, it's yeah. just as celebrated. It's just as big. I feel like that's a huge missing market.
0: Yeah. Or I mean, this is a, a more um obscure Jewish holiday but Purim is all about uh wearing costumes so there you go there you go you're welcome producers write something Mike Flanagan do it
1: <laughs> <laughs> somebody do it god it
0: yeah <laughs> uh, so you have a podcast called Certified Forgotten about the all about about all the horror movies that fall through the cracks of modern distribution how'd you come up with that idea
1: So that was um, me and my partner, Matt Monagle. We realized that we were attending the same really small indie horror fests in New York City when we both lived there and didn't know each other. Uh, Then we finally met like years later at South by Southwest we became friends and we're just having a conversation. We're just like, man, you know, we're so lucky that we get to go to festivals and especially those small festivals and see movies that are never going to get the distribution they deserve and see movies that might not even get distribution. So we were just kind of like talking one day and we're like, what if we found a way to at least shine a little bit of a light on all these movies and movies of that. Like even the ones that don't go to festivals and just kind of like appear and disappear, you know, how, how could we do our part to make people aware of them? And immediately the idea for certified forgotten came up because I was kind of looking for a podcast and I was looking for a partner and it just, everything fell into place. And it, it has become a really good practice in bringing on a guest, getting to know people in the community and also to shine that light on these movies that were quote unquote forgotten. And especially to kind of like shine a light on the fact of how horror was so overlooked for so long, especially on these like mainstream levels. Cause like Rotten Tomatoes, this all stems from Rotten Tomatoes, not, not letting like horror criticism be a thing for so many years, because you look at any film really from like 2015 or back and horror is so either just torn to shreds, or it's ignored and you're, you're looking at it you're like how is burning bright how is the poughkeepsie tapes how how are these movies under five like actual critic reviews on rotten tomatoes because like we all know about them as horror fans and whether we've seen them or not like we've at least heard the titles um so that was really everything that kind of built into being like nah we're going to talk about these movies that no one else is because they deserve to be talked about you know there's so many festival titles that we gush about and we're like oh man this is like You know, this has the potential to be a decent thing, like maybe not even the next big thing. Like we're pretty realistic and we're pretty much like, you know, I saw this pretty meager horror film, but it's got a really great story and I think it can go somewhere. And then it just goes to the wrong distribution company, Uh, lays around for two to three years and just kind of peters out there and no one watches it. So that is how Certified Forgotten was born to to at least have a few people, whoever listens and we're thankful for that, kind of click in and go, hey, this movie, I never would have heard about it. Let's go watch it.
0: Oh, that's awesome what are some movies that
1: we should know about so there's a few like it's hard because a few of them are ones that haven't even released yet we've actually covered some festival titles that just straight up haven't even come out yet but I'm gonna go with some of my favorites uh, some of my favorites right off the top of my head one is called the last will and testament of uh, Rosalind Lee and it is <laughs> as much of an indie horror film that has ever indie hard Um, It was actually (laughs) produced by, oh man, I forget what site the person used to run and possibly Rue Morgue uh, a long time ago or something of that nature, but it has ties to like film criticism, film journalism, who made it. And it really just is about a son who comes home to grieve and his mother narrates from the grave basically the whole time. And you just hear her narration talking about what the son is doing there. And then the son, you know, cuts in and. It's just so much about dread and it's so much about like moving on and it's really wholesome and heartfelt. And like, you don't, people write off horror for those reasons because like, Oh, like horror's again, just about scares or it's just about gore. And like, no, it's not like, it's about like connecting with those we've lost and so many things. So I think Rosalind Lee does a really good job with that Uh, on the, on the opposite side of that spectrum is patchwork um, Tyler McIntyre's first film who did tragedy girls. And it's a really fun, you know, fun for the sense of what it is, but uh, three women all get abducted by a mad scientist, basically. And it's a riff on Frankenstein uh, and they all get patched up in the same Frankenstein body, but their consciences all like are separate still. So it's a very fun movie in the sense that some of the scenes you'll just get this shambling body trying to move as one and like they play up the humor of that. But then other scenes you get all three women separated like they're talking and conversing and they're having to like work this one body and figure out who killed them and go about that world. So Pat- Patchwork's a really good one. And uh, one last one off the top of my head, I'm going to go with, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with Deep Murder. <laughs> and have you, do you know what Deep Murder is? You've do No, know. Okay. So Deep Murder is a movie that is, it's not about a slasher killer on the set of a softcore porno. It's literally about a slasher killer if he interrupted a softcore porno. So, like, the characters still are the characters, they're not the act- actors or anything like that. So, like, you think you're watching this like VHS greeny softcore porno in the beginning, and and like it's Chris Red and um, uh, a lot of actors that you know. Um, Jerry O'Connell is in there, <laughs> um, so like it's them making fun of softcore pornos and that kind of stuff. Um, and then when the killer shows up, like there's no break in personality; they just stay the same. So you get all these like softcore porno stereotypes trying to solve a murder mystery. Uh... It sounds like it's stupid as hell. It will be stupid as hell for some people, but goddamn if that movie doesn't make me laugh every time.
0: <laughs> it sounds like it's it's funny. I mean, but so many horror movies you describe the plots and they sound insane. So
1: that's the draw. The draw. That's the draw right there. Like how crazy is it? How can I challenge myself? Then that's uh, deep murders on the top of that list.
0: Yeah. Have you seen Titan yet?
1: I have seen Titan.
0: Yeah. That I is. Mean, that, uh, that if you try to describe that to somebody
1: so she but fucks a car
0: she, <laughs> like, she has sex with a car and that's the least crazy thing that happens least like
1: literally bottom level
0: <laughs> yeah that's the baseline um <laughs> so an article came out last year that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans i think we touched on this a little bit before but why do you think that was we were
1: prepared <laughs> in a weird way you know we've seen so many movies about pandemics and quarantines and I think we're just better built for that type of scenario. And I also think because um, I'm not as active in the quote unquote horror community as I used to be, I just, I'm overburdened with work and that's just like a fault of my own. But a lot of people also have this setup in green community where like horror allows people to connect and it allows people to connect in a way that like, it's not just like a passing glance. Like if you go to a horror convention and like you're making friends like at summer camp. So I think uh horror fans specifically had this safety net of when they were stuck inside. Um social media became this thing that you know like everyone just like just fell into. Um and you could like do watch parties with your friends and like watch all these movies and horror movies and it, just the bonds that are created through horror I think that helped so many people through.
0: Oh, that's a great answer. Did you watch any pandemic horror movies during the pandemic?
1: Uh, I reviewed a few, unfortunately, um, and I learned a very quick lesson that, like, you don't think anyone would try to. I don't know. I would like exploit seems like it too extreme, but it yeah, some horror filmmakers absolutely exploited the pandemic and just created these movies that, like, man. Wrong time, like we don't need this yet. Like, it's still going on to this day. But, like, when we're in quarantine, I don't need the Skype based horror movie about being stuck in quarantine with your friends just yet. Like, that, like, there are ways to do pandemic horror. And I feel like something like Host that was great because it was filmed under pandemic uh, conditions and it absolutely was like a quote unquote pandemic horror movie because everyone's separated, everyone's doing their own thing, but they told a ghost story and they, they didn't make it about those kind of pandemic uh, things we're dealing with. So uh, if we want to talk about pandemic horror, it's like, you know, there are the greats that we all think about, but there were a few, The or sorry, let me put it this way. The best pandemic horror movies that came out as we were all in lockdown and quarantine were the ones that were pandemic horror movies, but not, on the surface. Like, if that makes sense, like the ones that really like hid that they were pandemic horror movies, but still found other ways to tell that story.
0: Like which ones?
1: Um, I, oh, Man, like a host was a great one. Yeah. I don't like I'm movies of that ilk. I'm, I'm okay. stuttering. Cause like, I, I totally forgot to write down the other ones I did uh, think were good, but you know, there was, like I said, to go back to that one that was basically about, um, skype friends and it's just their their zoom call and like it just gets weird one night and everything that they did just like really played off the fact and like preyed on everyone's fear of already being in a pandemic Uh, in a way that just felt like cheap it just felt like okay you didn't actually try to make a horror movie you're just telling us what we already know and packaging it with a horror label yeah
0: Uh, okay yeah i will skip that one yeah um so when you don't have to watch anything for an article or you know for the award season how do you decide what to watch when you're looking for a horror movie to watch
1: if i don't have to write about it if i don't have to do anything for it uh i'm probably gonna go classic and i'm probably gonna try to fill in a blind spot that i know i need to hit um so that was what i was doing with like again like carpenter craven all the names that we know uh seeing like joe dante's piranha i'm a huge aquatic horror fan and it's like I'm trying to always do my homework still, I guess, uh, when I have time just to watch something, but it's, you know, it's not work for me in that sense. Like going back and rediscovering the early days of horror and like rediscovering where, not even rediscovering at that point, it's actually discovering for the first time, you know, where all these tropes became tropes and I know what they look like now, but, you know, maybe I don't even know where they came from and where they were birthed from. So I'm usually picking from the like, Holy shit! How haven't I watched this movie yet? Like, how how did I just watch The Fog? How did I just watch The Changeling? Like stuff like that.
0: Awesome. Did you like the movie Crawl? I
1: love. I just as I just said, aquatic horror is like kind of my thing. Also, creature features are my thing, so I'm, I'm a big Crawl fan.
0: That's awesome. Um, are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again?
1: There's a list. Um, there's a list. It's not super long, but it it includes a lot of the same a lot of the same titles you've probably heard before, like the Serbian films. Um, there's one called Red, White, and Blue that I don't think I can watch again. Um, Human Centipede 2 specifically is the most ju- just wasteful piece of trash I've ever seen. Um, so like, those are the three that immediately come to my head. Also, I've seen some real icky low budget efforts um, and icky in the sense that like, I, I don't know what drives some filmmakers just to like still believe that horror should be about like womanizing and all these things that were not good when they were a thing but like in 2020 if I'm still watching the movie open with you know the naked girl being chased and there's no reason for it and that's how the whole movie plays out I'm like come on dude like no absolutely not yeah,
0: that's valid. Um, have you ever had a noteworthy experience seeing a horror movie in theaters
1: Seeing seen a horror movie in theaters, noteworthy experience. I could say that seeing probably a quiet place at South by Southwest was one of my favorite horror experiences because we've all gone to the midnight showings and public screenings, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I still go all the time. I love that stuff. But seeing a quiet place specifically was good at South by Southwest because that theater was so quiet. You could hear anything drop, like literally like a speck of dust, not even like a pin. And that helped me appreciate that movie on a level. I didn't think I could, uh, the whole, no sound design going into, it, or sorry, no score. There was plenty of sound design was a quote unquote, a gimmick, maybe to some people, but seeing that movie and literally being able to experience it in a completely silent, silent theater was number one, the perfect way to watch it. And number two, something that like, I don't think I could be replicated in a regular mainstream uh, theater. So I'm very thankful for that experience Um, and that that is one that I think I'll take with me. But my other story, it's it's adjacent. Jason. Um, It's the raid and I will tell it very quickly. But like I went with my friend it was like 11 o'clock in the morning in Jersey. And like, sure, no one else is there to watch the Indonesian action movie except some guy and his girlfriend and some kids in the back. And the guy is like wearing like a tap out t-shirt. He's like jacked. He's like definitely like super pumped to see an action movie with his girlfriend. And these kids in the back start throwing popcorn at him and like they're hitting him, and he's like turning around and he keeps looking, but he doesn't see them cause they duck every time. So finally they just wail his girlfriend with like an M M&M and M or something. And the dude turns around, they're ducked. He doesn't see them. So he just assumes me and my friend are the only ones in the theater. And this dude in the middle of the raid as like, eco is in joe tassel are like kicking ass on the screen he just gets up and he's like i will come over there and beat the shit out of you and like you're just standing there like sitting there going like oh my god like dude like somebody like, and i point and these kids are running out of the theater and i was just like cool cool i'm gonna get my ass beat because this guy doesn't know these little kids throwing candy and i'm gonna get my ass beat during the raid like that's a live experience right there an immersive event
0: oh my goodness well i'm glad you're okay and you didn't get the shit it. out of you. i
1: survived i survived
0: <laughs> So, what has been your favorite horror movie of 2021?
1: I, uh, so favorite horror movie 2021. I'm gonna stick with The Vigil right now, um, for Hulu. Mm. I'm talking about the lack of Hanukkah horror. Uh, we are seeing a little bit more Jewish horror, which is very good, um, between that and Jerusalem. Um, a few other films out there, The Golem is very good. So, I, I'm sticking with The Vigil because it does such a good job of creating the, uh, the dread and atmosphere of a Brooklyn apartment, you know, like I, I lived in Brooklyn for a while and especially like right around the area where it was filmed. Cause it's like right around the Williamsburg area, I believe, or, you know, still a more like Jewish populated area. And those apartments like are not very big and it's New York city. So like people are always on the streets. So to me, like it's hard to create a horror movie in that environment, but you know, by bringing in the actual, the actual real cultural elements that are so faithful because like i obviously talked to my friends and like you know heard their heard their takes on it and the fact that they were all like no yeah this is this is very good at what it does um it builds the cultural elements in a way that makes them heroic but it also builds this very confined space and in a very horrific way and then just surround it all out it's spooky as hell it is so goddamn scary and uh if you're getting me to like jump at this point you definitely earn your earn, earn everything about that so that is uh, I, I think nothing has beat the vigil yet but there's also some fun ones like like psycho gore man which is uh is something near and dear to my heart and um I, it, yeah there's 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 some good stuff this year some really good stuff
0: awesome yeah the vigil is on my list i have to find time uh, with my friends to watch it this week yeah. so we we're waiting for another jewish holiday there you go <laughs> this
1: is per exactly Re- yeah. like represent it like watch it then
0: <laughs> yeah um so what horror movie are you most looking forward to in 2022
1: <sighs> that is a wonderful question that is going to be the easiest of answers because it is scream like i like it's scream it's just i i everything i'm going into uh about this movie is question marks and i don't know what's going to happen but i am so pumped to see how this plays out and uh I, one of my first new Beverly experience out here was seeing all four screen movies back to back. So that was a very good primer to get me like excited again, to be like, yeah, no, this franchise is ready for a fifth. And I don't know. There's a lot, lot of uh, fan theories out there. I, I don't know which ones I believe yet. And I'm just really happy to dive in and not have any idea. I'm not, I don't want to pay any more attention to like, is Stu going to come back? Is who is the killer? Are they going to revive a dead person?
0: I really hope Stu doesn't come back. That would be sub- such a cop out. I'm so
1: annoyed <laughs> i don't know I'm, I'm kind of half into the idea but i, I understand where that's coming from 100 uh,
0: i know we're running out on t- out of time because you have to go ahead. screening but um are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like
1: so my answer to that is always the gallows um i am one of the only people that likes this movie apparently i'm a sucker for found footage I am a sucker for red lighting, what I'll call the reds when like I, the only lighting is that like alarm light red. And it's just such a beautiful kind of shot. Um, so everything about that movie kind of gets me. And maybe I'm just a lot more tolerant of quote unquote shaky cam. Uh, maybe I'm more tolerant of that kind of filmmaking. But I thought the gallows was like pretty effective. It's It gets its scares right. It gets in and out. It's a shorter kind of film and it builds a cool lore with this like theatrical setting and you know the gallows being worked into like creating an accidental death in like a school play and like the like the killer comes back and i know it has a terrible rating i know i'm one of few people who like it like the only other person i know that like it is uh Calen corrigan as well like we're the only ones that defend that thing but no i'm gonna go to the grave saying that uh, the gallows is good and y'all are wrong
0: Okay, cool. I'm sold on it hearing that it's about like a school play and it's found footage. I'm also a sucker for found footage. I love it.
1: Yeah, just don't watch the sequel. I admit that is utter dog shit. (laughs) Like that the sequel's bad.
0: All right. Yeah, no. Yeah, I I can believe that. (laughs) If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be?
1: If I personally could remake one horror movie, what would it be? Uh, There are so many answers. And, like, my instinct is to pick something that's, like, didn't get its due that kind of, like, deserves to be redone again. But I don't know. I love the idea of a night- Nightmare remake and, like, a good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's I, like,
0: I watched the early yeah. 2000s one, and that, it was so boring. I almost fell asleep.
1: I think there's such an opportunity to go back into that world and to have another actor on Robert Englund's level, I think Jackie Earl Haley did a decent job being the freddy that he was but there was just no presence to him like he was the scary freddy he didn't do well delivering those lines in my in my kind of uh, vibe so like one last time i'm the horror comedy guy and the friday movies or sorry the uh, freddy movies they very much let him get those one-liners and really play around in that playground element so i don't know i want to see somebody that has those comedic chops as well as the scariness to go in there and like I would love to to cast uh you know thinking about it a lot more but like to go in there and cast the right person and redo a new nightmare with uh somebody that really could like stand up to England but also make it their own because that's the biggest thing in a remake you don't want to do what England did you want to find a way to like honor the what England did and then really just make it your own
0: awesome before my last question what horror movies are you watching this year
1: Uh, This year I think I'm gonna stick with well I'm I'm almost done with the advent calendar uh, which is a new one on Shudder that I believe comes out this week and is literally about a killer advent calendar so that's a cool one Um, and I'm I'm gonna say Santa Jaws because everyone thinks I'm crazy but it is a sci-fi like original kind of flick that is so much fun A a kid draws a comic called Santa Jaws. It comes to life. It starts hunting his family. It literally is about a killer shark that also has like a peppermint cane for a horn and his light. Or his teeth are like Christmas lights and all these things. He wears the hat on his fin. Yeah, no, Santa Jaws is a fun one. Sorry. And then Gremlins, of course. Gremlins uh during Christmas itself. Oh, also Anna and the Apocalypse. I finally showed that to my mom last year and uh, she adored it. So I now have free reign to watch Anna and the Apocalypse when I'm home. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Yeah, that one's fun. Um, so my last question is, if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be?
1: <laughs> That's my Chucky. Uh, as much as, <laughs> yeah, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. As much as he terrified me for most of my life, if I had to be stuck with one person, uh, I have just fallen in love with Chucky and uh, hopefully I have not someone that he tries to kill immediately. But uh, judging by the fact that I did get that Chucky doll sent to me uh, for the sci fi show, and it has not murdered me yet, I'm doing okay.
0: Oh, awesome. So you did spend quarantine with Chucky? I
1: did. Oh. It, well, luckily, he came after quarantine. Oh, I, okay. I, I probably would have started talking to Chucky at some point if he was here during quarantine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and being here. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? On the internet?
1: Absolutely. You can find me, Matt Donato, at Bomb on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. And then you can find my writing uh, anywhere from Fangoria to Bloody Disgusting to Slash Film to uh, What to Watch. Just the list goes on. Uh, I have an Authory page. So if you go to authory.com and find Matt Donato, uh, it puts all of my articles in one easy to find place. So yeah, do that.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much and happy holidays.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Who's There? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Donato, and thanks again to Matt for coming on. I'll leave links to his socials and where you can find his writing in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's Pod or on Instagram at Who's Podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at hello at whosetherepodcast.com. Until next time, stay scary and get vaccinated.